You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Michelle Sobolchek Pentanato, one of Sound Girls' original founding members, and it is part of an interview from the Sound Girls Living History Project. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Soundgirls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. The oral history interviews are typically unedited and will be archived in their original form. This episode features about 30 minutes of the interview. To watch the rest of the episode, you can go to the Soundgirls YouTube page or to soundgirls.org. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me for um, a conversation as part of the Sound Girls Living History Project. Uh, the aim of the project is to kind of do lots of oral histories with important audio industry professionals like you. Um, uh, the project is kind of a work in progress, and so there's more interviews being done every month or so, and I think it'll just kind of continue to grow and get bigger as people learn about it and decide they want to do their own interviews with people they admire um, or want to learn from. And um, so yeah, that's kind of my intro. Thanks so much. And um, I guess I'll just start off by saying that or I wanted to tell you that um, I really I didn't tell you this yet is that I really loved the spin doctors when I was in high school. And I um, found out that you were like, you know, you're responsible for making them sound good. And I have this kind of embarrassing story about the spin doctors that I'm not going to share unless we unless it comes up but it was just about like deciding not to drink while all my friends were drinking and like staying behind on a new year's to watch them on on Saturday Night Live and (laughs) what a great experience it was but like so now like finding out that you were um out there making the spin doctors and probably lots of other bands that I really like and liked sound good is 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 like exciting for me so I wanted to thank you for agreeing to the interview and talking about your career. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be here. And and that's um, that's really cool to know. And I know we're going to have to get into the the story <laughs> about you staying behind. But um, yeah, I, I worked for the Spin Doctors for, uh, I started working for them. They were actually my first tour. And um, that was in 1992. And I got hired just as uh, the band, like, I got hired and a month later, their album blew up. It was in the top, you know, Billboard top 100. And it was, it was perfect timing. You know, I, I started with them. And the other thing was too, I, I, I had been working for about, um, been working in, in audio for about three, three or four years before that. And um, so I did a show. I was replacing basically a friend of mine, John Heidenreich. He was out mixing them and he was trying to get off the road because he'd been out on the road for a couple of years solid. And he called me up and offered me the gig. So I went out, met the band. And um, the way it was going to be, it was like he, there was two weeks where they were in my area. I was going to go meet everybody, jump on the bus, do two, two weeks worth of shows. And if they liked me, I'd stay. If not, they were going to be back in my area and I would just get off the bus and go home. So wow, it was like a two week audition <laughs> period. Yeah. And uh, so I, I went in the first day. Um, John mixed the show so I could, you know, get a feel for the band because I didn't know I had never heard of them. You know, I he he uh, called me and I was like, well, can you send me a cassette so I can learn the music and never heard the band. I'm like, oh, this is really cool, you know. And so he did the first show. I did the next show and they were club gigs. But my second show 
was um, the band was playing on the Horde tour, which was this big like hippie band festival in the uh, in the '90s, like uh, Mella Fleck, uh, Blues Traveler. Uh, I can't remember all the bands, but you know that type of the same type of jam band. And the Spin Doctors were probably like the third or fourth band on the main stage, which meant that we basically had 20 minutes to roll all of our gear on stage plug it in do a quick line check through headphones and then go there was no sound checks no you know it was throw and go and and literally trial by fire because this was in the days of analog gear so it wasn't digital like you literally had to start from scratch every day building your mix so um you know now these days you can just plug in your your thumb drive and you have a file that you've already tweaked and it's perfected but you know back then it was just building it from scratch so it was great for me because it really taught me how to pull a mix together really fast because our set time was only about 30 minutes. So I couldn't take 20 minutes getting drum sounds. I had to learn how to do it, you know, within the first song, you know, and get everything sounding good because other than that, you know, the show's over. So um, it was a really great learning experience. And um, it was also cool to be around so many other engineers at the time because I was kind of just getting started. So I was learning from you know, watching and listening to them, you know, and they were all much, much older and more experienced than me. I was probably mid early twenties at that point. But, uh, so we did that for, uh, the summer. And then I, you know, like I said, their album just blew up. And after that, we started playing colleges and bigger shows. And, um, we just, yeah, we just were touring nonstop. I remember for a year. Um, and then, so I worked for them from 92 to, um, 97 like on and off there was a couple of years in there that i didn't but um it was just a great a great ride you know to be part of something when it's just you know the band's just exploding i'm just getting started we're all there together and it was the crew everybody was a family like the band and crew we were all just this little tight family unit and um it was just such a, a cool experience to have yeah but yeah, we did Saturday Night Live. We did um, we did it back when MTV would do um, MTV drops the ball for New Year's Eve. We did yes. a couple <laughs> different New Year's Eve shows. Um, we did David Letterman. We were on the David Letterman show so many times. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. I remember, they you know because they were from New York City and Letterman loved the band. So anytime that he would have a guest cancel, he'd call them up, and if they were in town, they'd go down and play. So I was always coming in and out of New York City to go do David Letterman and. Um, you know, all those other kind of shows. And it was it was really a great time. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> very cool. So um, thanks for sharing that. I wanted to, before we go too far, um, introduce yourself and what, like, how do you describe what, what is the, what is it that you do? What, what is your, what is your position and what, it, what does it even mean for somebody like, I always ask to describe it to somebody like my mom who like lives in Cleveland and she might hear the words but not actually know what it means like what is what is what do you introduce yourself and introduce <laughs> uh, well I'm Michelle Sabalchik Patinato and I have been a touring concert sound engineer for um, 30 years now um, my technical title is front of house engineer and the short answer uh, for what it is is that I am responsible for the um, the sound that the audience hears coming out of the PA system at a concert so when you go to a concert and you see a live band on, on stage, the sound engineer's job is to take the sound coming from all the actual instruments on stage, the guitar amps, the drums, and 
um, and blend that with the unamplified instruments and vocals and, and create a mix that's hopefully enjoyable to listen to. Um, and how that you, how you accomplish that is by using microphones and other devices to deliver the sound uh, from each instrument or vocal to the soundboard. And then I use the soundboard to manipulate and mix all of the individual levels together, you know, adding things like EQ and effects and, you know, to create the mix. And it also involves adjusting um, the PA system, like making EQ adjustments to the speakers so that they interact correctly with the room. So, you know, you always have the ambient sound of a, a venue, so you have to deal with that as well. Um, the front of house um, describes the, the person who's mixing the sound for the band. There's also um, on larger scale tours, a monitor engineer. And the monitor engineer, yeah, they, they handle mixing the sound. Um, the front of house handles the audience, the monitor engineer handles the band. So the monitor engineer is basically set up with the soundboard on stage, you know, where you can't see them and they control everything that the band and the musicians that they hear. So um, on smaller tours, you just have a sound engineer who does all of that from the front of house console. But when it's a, a larger tour, you have both engineers. I did not know that. <laughs> That's news to me that there's one person. So. Um, thank you for explaining that. And I guess, you know, as you were describing what you were doing with the spin doctors, are you aiming for the front of house to sound almost exactly like, um, like when people buy a CD or, um, record, like, like, I'm sure there's much more to it. You have to translate that sound into the live experience or how would you describe, um, finding when it sounds right to, as the front of the house engineer? Like, how do you know you, Michelle? <laughs> when something's right. Yeah, um, well, that's it, it kind of starts uh, with the first thing I do when I get hired is get the the, the musicians um, catalog, like I've got all their records and make a list of the songs that they're going to do for the, the tour. And then I do like I learn those songs, I dissect them down to, you know, what every instrument sounds like, where the placement is in the three dimensional space, you know, as much detail as I can, what effects I'm hearing. And that's my guide. And I also have a conversation with the with the musicians and the artists. You know, if it's a um, like Melissa Etheridge, I, um, you know, it's it's her music. So I'll talk to her about what is her overall goal. If it's a band like the Spin Doctors, and I'll discuss it with the band. But you know, you want to find out what the artist wants because sometimes they want it to sound exactly like the record. You know, and gotcha. yeah. and that's your guide. And sometimes they don't like their the mix of their record. So they want, you know, a, a little bit different or they'll have very specific ideas of what they want. So it's always about communicating with the artists of what exactly they want to convey to the audience. And then it's my job to do that, to take what's coming at me and, you know, in the best possible way, translate it to the audience. Wow. I I mean, do people understand what you do? Do you think? Do you, okay, here's the thing. Do, does the average person seeing you sitting out there in the front of the house position in the like, what's interesting to me is that like, you're very public yet you're very behind the scenes too in your job and like it that's a very interesting dynamic so like do you yeah do you think they know what what it is you're doing there most people most people know um i mean because when i when i was a kid i went to concerts all the time and you know my my first thing was i wanted to be a recording engineer and make records and it never even dawned on me going to all these concerts and seeing that person there. I never even thought about what they were doing. I just, right. you know, I, I knew they had something to do with the show, but it never dawned on me that they were actually controlling what I'm hearing. And, um, you know, so I think most people, the thing is like about our job, you know, we're supposed to be invisible, you know, we're supposed to be, um, 
you're not looking at us unless there's a problem. You know, it's like the minute, minute you can't hear something, like the minute you can't hear the vocal, then everybody's looking at you. Everyone knows where you are exactly. You know, if there's I mean, the feedback. Band, the band is looking at you and the, the band, the audience, everybody somehow instinctively okay. knows if there's feedback or there's a problem. Oh, where's the sound person? And that's but you. The, the point is like that we should just be invisible. Like what we're doing, you know, should be, un, in, you know, not noticeable. Um, so most people, I don't think, like they, they understand that there's a sound person and a lighting person that are controlling those things, but they don't really understand what the amount of work that goes into it. You know, like it, the, the day, our days start, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning and wow. we're building everything from, you know, the set to, you know, setting up the instruments and, and running all the cables that day. You know, it's, it's the, the 16 hour, 18 hours of work going into building a show for all of you, all the people to come and watch that night and then tearing it down and, and, you know, leaving for the next city. Um, and then it's, you know, it's all the work that goes into it before even getting on the tour bus, you know, just the planning, the learning, the music, learning the cues and all of the, you know, the mental work and designing of the system and all the stuff that you need before the tour even starts. So there's so much that goes into it that, um, people have no idea. I think yeah. the average person. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And so like in terms of your relationship to the crowd around you, have you like devised tactics to kind of like block them out? Like I, I, I'm interested in the dynamic too. Is like, do you get energy from the crowd or are you just kind of like, have you, is it, does it vary per show or depending on what's going on? Or do you like put sort of like mental blocks around your space or how do you navigate that? Yeah. Well, the, the energy definitely varies and there's nights where, it's just amazing. Like you can feel the electricity in the room. Like I did a, a, a show with Mr. Big. It was like, a, they're an eighties rock, one of the last eighties rock metal bands. And uh, we were on tour in, um, well, whenever we go to Brazil, like in 2011, I think it was, um, we were playing this uh, really nice venue. It was about 5,000 people. And the crowd in the, the audience in Brazil is always insane. They are like the one of the best audiences in the world. And they were yeah. so pumped up that before the band came on stage, they're chanting, Mr. Big, Mr. Big. And they were so loud, the band could hear them backstage. So when the band's getting all pumped up, excited for the show, they come on stage and, and the, the crowd, the screaming was so loud. The energy was just like, you you know, your hands were, your, your hairs were on end because it was such an electric feeling. And we had such an amazing night. The band played great. We had a great sound system. It sounded great. The lights looked great you know, the audience was fantastic. And it was one of those nights where, you know, it, it was such a special thing to be part of. And for everybody, like everybody feels that. Um, then you have times where, you know, the audience, they're not even paying attention. Like you're wondering why they're even there because they're they're talking, they're, you know, on their phone. It's just kind of like they're a dud, you know, and, and you feel that too. Because then the band is really working hard, you know, for that interaction that they're not getting. But as far as um, dealing with the audience around me, like I'm, when I'm mixing, I'm, I'm really in the zone. Like I'm so focused on yeah. listening and what I'm, you know, doing that it's kind of like meditating for me. It's like that that's one thing that I'm thinking about and that's it. And I've gotten really good at blocking out people. Um, cause you'll get people coming up, just want to talk to you cause you're there and like, they don't understand I'm working, I'm trying to do my job. And, and to take that, you know, five seconds to say, I'm working, I can't talk now. Oh, but I just want to ask you one thing. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm have a million cues and things I need to be doing. I can't take my attention, you know, yeah. to have a conversation. 
So I've gotten so good at, at blocking people out that I was doing a show years ago in, in Salt Lake City and a friend of mine was in town on a day off and he came into the gig and he walked right in front of the soundboard and he turned around and he was just staring at me. And I'm, I'm looking away. I'm like totally ignoring him. Like, who is this jerk that just will not watch the concert and is just staring at me? Why is he not paying attention to the band? And and he stared at me for about five minutes and I just kept, you know, completely averting my gaze so I wouldn't, you know, catch his eye. And I noticed him finally turn back around and then I looked and I realized it was my friend. So I tapped him on his shoulder. I'm like, he's like, no, 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 you're ignoring me. And I'm like, you know better. You know that when I'm working, I don't talk to people. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I just totally get in a zone where I'm, I'm focused on what I'm doing and that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, it, I, it sort of reminds me of like how athletes, super athletes talk about getting into their zone, like it must have some similar qualities, you know, how they just, yeah. they, they both are aware of the crowd, but also like, in their own track and, and pretty focused on that track. Yeah. Um, cool. These are great stories. I, um, I wondered if before we go any further, I did want to ask you a little bit about just like, um, where, where were you born and like, where, I guess, yeah, first, where, where are you from? Where were you born? Where did you, where do you kind of, do you still consider that home? Well, um, I was born and I grew up in a tiny little town called Ashland, Pennsylvania, uh, in the middle of nowhere and about as far away from the music business as you could get. <laughs> um, it was just a tiny little coal town, like population of about 4,000 people. And um, I live now, I currently live in Scranton, which is about uh, an hour and a half north of, of Ashland, but a big city compared to where I grew up. But I actually moved around a lot. Um, yeah, I, when I, I honestly don't know how, you know, I ended up with the, uh, you know, the passion for music and, and this desire to work in the industry, like I said, coming from where I, I did, because yeah. where it was, you either, you you know, you graduated, you got married and started a family. And if you were a woman and wanted to work, you worked at a factory or at the mall. You know, this was back in the days when shopping malls were still a thing. Or you, if you were a guy, you worked at a plant. You know, it was just, that was kind of the, the uh, level of opportunity there. And I, for some reason, music was always a huge part of my life. It was. Since yeah. I, yeah. Since I was a little kid, like I remember- okay. We, we always had um, the radio on, you know, and um, my mom had a stereo and she had this really eclectic collection of records because she had, um, there was this thing called the KTEL Record Club back in the uh, 70s and 80s. And basically you, you got the record of the month. They would send you a new album every month and you had like 10 days to decide if you wanted to keep it or send it back. Wow. And it was just random stuff, like everything from, you know, John Denver to Beethoven to Kiss, you know, it was, they, it, they covered the whole gamut. So I, you know, I just loved music and I would always play those records. And she always had also had a really great 45 collection from like, you know, the Beatles to, you know, all that that era, you know, in the the 60s. And um, so I just was constantly listening to music and and I started playing piano when I was about five years old and took lessons all through high school. So I, it was just like, music was kind of my escape. Like, you know, I didn't have a great childhood and that was kind of, I would go to my room and, and put the music on and just lose myself in it, you know, really listening to it. And um, that was, that was my escape. You know, like when things got, you know, rough and, um, but I was always, you know, it, there was always something deeper, like, uh, you know, I was involved with, um, 
like I played piano for the uh, the church choir and the school chorus and things like that. And I would play piano for my friends and talent shows and, and uh, competitions, but I never wanted to be in the spotlight. Interesting. You know, like I, I, I hated attention. Like I hated people noticing me. So um, even when I would play, like, I'm like, okay, for the chorus, everyone's looking at the chorus. No one's looking at me. So I, you know, I'm okay. But, um, but I just, I always played piano and loved music. And then I also had a, um, a really big interest in science. Like I would always take things apart to try and figure out how they worked. And when I was a little kid, I remember my dad had a little uh, quarter inch reel to reel that he had from the military and oh, it was cool. broken. And I think it was about 10 years old and I was taking it apart, tinkering with it, trying to fix it. And then um, same thing, like I remember when I was a teenager, I would, I took my old record player from when I was a kid and took it apart and try and make it play backwards so I could listen to all the backwards messages on my Led Zeppelin records. <laughs> um, but Did stuff like that. No, yeah. it didn't work. Um, so but you yeah, I just hands on stuff. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was always just fascinated by, well, how does this work? And, um, you know, and then I even I remember like I got my first cassette recorder and I recorded everything. Like I would just have it with me everywhere recording, you know, instead of writing letters, I would record tapes and send them to my friends and um, record TV shows that I liked. And then I had um, my first stereo. It actually had a little crystal microphone and it had a microphone plug in it. So I was kind of doing multi-track recording before I even knew what it was. I would have my friends come over and I would play um, a record and record them singing with the record playing into a cassette and then i'd play um the cassette and i would sing on top of it you know and would do all these little wow. you know performances like that you know with with recording us and overdubbing i guess you know before I even had an idea what that was but it kind of it evolved into um when i was probably a junior in high school and it was that time of what are you going to do with your life? You know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And it was kind of like a light bulb went off. I think I remember just being fascinated by listening to great records and, and, you know, laying in bed with my headphones on and hearing all this stuff happening and, and just wondering how did they do that? Like, how did they get those vocals and, you know, layers and layers and layers of vocals of four people to sound like 200 and things like that. And I, I also used to read, um, every album I have, I would read the liner notes, you know, the band, the um, all the musicians, the songwriters. And I always saw this thing, every record had a recording engineer on it. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew they must be important because every single record has one. So that's when I started thinking, well, okay, well, let me see what this is, you know? And I, I actually did, I think in my junior, junior, senior year, I had to do a, a, an oral report for my music class. And that was on, they said it could be on anything related to music. So I picked recording engineering and wow. I had no idea what it was, but I researched it and I looked at, you know, all these books and read up on it and did a report on recording engineering. And I was kind of like, you know what, this is what I want to do. Like, this is a way I can be creatively involved in making great music, but I don't have to be a performer, you know, cause I knew I didn't have the skills or the chops to be a professional musician. And I really didn't want to be a performer, but this was still a way for me to be involved. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to be a recording engineer. And um, of course, growing up where I did, everybody was, you know, I, I, everyone told me, well, you can't do that. You, you, you know, that, you have to get a real job. That's not a real job. You know, it's, <laughs> you can make a living doing that. 
or um, they thought it meant I wanted to be a DJ. And I'm like, no, I don't want to spin records. I want to make records, you know, and well, you, no one does. How You can't do that. So I was kind of on my own, you know, figuring it out. Like I had no support from my family. I mean, my, my mom th thought, you know, because I was really smart. And she's like, you need to go to school and be a doctor or, or, or you know, a lawyer or something. And, and, you know, so she thought I was throwing my life away to the music business. And uh, um, my, you know, school guidance counselors and you know they were just like you have to get a real job this isn't a real career my music teacher was like why don't you go into music therapy I'm like that's not <laughs> like so no one really got it and I went to college for a year and did that and I, fuel you like sorry I want to interrupt you for one second that's interesting did that like all the sort of like non uh encourage like opposite of encouragement kind of discouragement like, yeah did it just yeah overdrive <laughs> it, I, it, it did like I, I think I knew like I was very headstrong you know I was just this is something that is so deep within me of of like I know I have to do this you know and I'm going to figure out how some some way or another whether or not you think I can I'm going to show you that I can and I think it did it, it kind of spurred me along to you know be like well I'll show you you know like everybody every time someone said you know, you can't do that. I just said, well, watch me, you know, and it just kind of, um, yeah, I think it kind of just gave me the extra push. So um, I went to, well, I, I found a, a college that taught a basic recording engineering program, but they, I, it was a really expensive school. And I think by the time I graduated and I got um, they notified me like how much financial aid I was going to get. I still had to come up with $10,000 or something like that. I'm like, it, I, my, you know, my family was poor. We didn't have any money and I, there's no way. So yeah. I um, enrolled in Penn State, which was the state school. And I went to Penn State for a year and I had a, I had one music class and I thought, well, this is, you know, this is not going to get me where I, I need to go. So after that, um, during the summer, after my first year, I heard of a place called the Recording Workshop in Chillicothe, Ohio, which had a three or four week basic engineering program. And um, like basic recording art. So I, I decided I was going to go there. And, you know, my friends were like, you're going to go to Ohio. You don't know anybody. You're crazy. And I'm like, no, it's, you know, it's going to be great, you know? And so I, I went to the recording workshop and um, it was fantastic because, you know, you're, you're learning recording engineering. This is what I wanted to learn, not, you know, math and history and social, you know, I wanted to learn recording engineering. So it was um, after that, I, I think I came home and I got a job at a local radio station. And it was one of those things where they were a brand new station. They were hiring all kinds of people. And I, I walked in and I said, well, I'm a recording engineer and I want to make commercials. And they said, that's great, but you have to sell them first. So I basically <laughs> oh, was wow. selling radio advertising. Oh, really? I, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, you know, like I'd sell it, I'd sell the commercials so then I could go and record it, you know, and, and I got to play in their little studio for a bit. And I did that for a few months till I, I was just kind of like, all right, where, you know, how am I going to move on? And I had a cousin who had recently moved to Nashville. So she invited me. She said, well, why don't you come down here? You can try and get a job. So I took a bus to Nashville and I think it was, I think I spent like 16 hours on a bus, you know, going from <laughs> tiny town, Pennsylvania to, to Nashville and um, stayed with my cousin for three weeks. And I walked around every day i went downtown nashville to music row and walked around to every studio i could find knocking on their doors handing out my resume which was penn state the recording workshop and wmgh <laughs> you know, it was nothing you know wow. and i'm knocking on the door saying hey i want to be a recording engineer and are you hiring and 
you know, I, I'm surprised more people didn't just laugh at me, but you know, um, it was about three weeks. And I realized, you know what, I still have no idea how this business works and how to get my foot in the door and, and this isn't going to work. So I don't know what to do. So I went back home again and I think I, I kind of was working for, a, I found a little, um, I had like, I had a friend who owned a music store and he was trying to put me in touch with people, but Oh, what happened was that I heard of full sale. Like I was still trying to figure out, okay, I, I need to learn more. You know, I don't know anyone in this industry at all. I have no ties, connections to, mm -hmm. to get my foot in the door. And I have nobody who can take me under their wing and teach me. Cause there's no, there's no recording studios here. So I found, um, I saw an ad for full sale university. Well, at the time it was just full sale center for the recording arts in Florida. And I um, enrolled there and I, uh, th at the time, I think it was a nine month program. So that was in 1989. Um, the minute I got there, uh, started at Full Sail, it was the first time throughout that journey that anyone said, yes, you can do this. You know, mm -hmm. it was the first time I had people who were actually supporting my dream and my vision of what I wanted to do and, and making me feel like you can do this. It's not impossible. And, um, when I was at full sale is when I switched from recording engineering to live sound. Cause like I said, I, you know, even though I'd gone to concerts, it never dawned on me that you can do this. So we had a, you know, I had my class on live sound and, and I was like, Oh my God, like this light bulb went off. I'm like, wait, so I can travel, which I love and mix record or mix music and, and get paid for it. So I was ding, 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 you know, I'm in, sign me up. Wow. And uh, yeah, that was the turning point. So as soon as I graduated from there, I started working at a little tiny, well, interning at a little tiny sound company outside of Philadelphia. And it was an unpaid internship. And it was literally, in order to graduate from full, so you had to complete a 240 hour internship to get your diploma. I did 240 hours in just over two weeks. Like they worked me to death. <laughs> You know, it was like, or did you hate it? <laughs> no, it was, it was great. You know, uh, because I was, I was like, well, I have nothing else going on here. So I might as well just work all the time. But, and I was learning so much. Like I worked in the shop. They had one guy who worked in the shop and he did everything from building road cases and racks to putting the PA systems together for shows, cleaning and fixing gear, um, you know, tearing apart soundboards and, and fixing them. So I was working with him and learning all that. And then I was also going out on um, on shows like Thursday through Sunday. So I'd work in the shop all day. And then Thursday night, I, I load a van or a truck with a sound system and go out either as like a, you know, an extra person on, on you know, a three or, a, you know, one person crew or a three person crew and just work shows. And the, the thing about that was I was so, like, I took my job very seriously. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it well. And I was, I'm very um, organized and so I would be loading the, the truck, the gear for, for a, a show. And then the guys would come in who were doing the show and I'd go along with them just as extra help. Cause I still didn't know enough to be able to mix and do a show on my own. But what would happen was they'd get there, you know, we'd drive an hour and start setting up and like, Oh, I forgot to bring this or I forgot to bring that. And I'm like, no, 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 I got it. It's in the truck. I'll go get it. So they started to rely on me because they knew that I was always doing their thinking for them. And like, oh, so everybody would ask me to come along with them and work their show, which was great because then I was getting more and more experience. And I had one guy in particular who we became friends and, you know, he was only making like $50 a night to, to do a gig. So he would pay me $10 and then buy me breakfast after the show, which was like, thank God I can eat today. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to the Sound Girls podcast and the Sound Girls Living History Project. More episodes of the Sound Girls Living History Project will be featured right here on the podcast in coming weeks. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.